My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this week's episode, we talk with Kevin Indig, director of SEO at Shopify and host of the Tech Found podcast. We talk about his beginnings living as a young gamer, his collegiate experience in the business space, and his eventual transition into digital marketing as a trainee at The Reach Group, a former digital marketing agency in Germany. We talk about how they helped him build his foundational skills, how they helped him develop his craft as a consultant, and which skills he honed on his own. We cover his roles at Searchmetrics to Atlassian, G2, and finally how he landed his gig at Shopify and what his role looks like there. And as a sidebar, we all share our hilarious first websites, uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, For our core topic, we discuss a new concept we're calling zero-based SEO, or I should say that Kevin has coined, that involves testing literally everything you can from an SEO perspective and using that to drive your strategy. It's an amazing part of the discussion that you will not want to miss. And finally, we take Twitter questions of the week and award some page two podcast swag. So get your popcorn ready while we tell Kevin's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. This is Jacob Stoops, and we are back again uh, with episode number 72 of the Page Two podcast. And this is a really uh, unique episode because this is the first time in the history of our podcast that we are recording uh, not necessarily two guests at the same time, but two guests different interviews on the same day. So it is uh, a back-to-back doubleheader for us at the Page Two Podcast. If you don't know me, I am an SEO director at Search Discovery, and I am joined by my trusty and faithful co-host, Mr. Jeff Luella, Senior Technical SEO at The Wirecutter, a division of the New York Times. How's it going, Jeff? Hey, howdy, hey. Things are going great. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling about the the second interview of the the back to back doubleheaders? Did you have to do I, any stretches in between interviews? I, I actually did. I went outside and did. Uh, I swung a golf club. I got this new like. Did you really? I got this new <laughs> golf club. It's like not a real golf club. It has like a weight on the end, and it's like very flexible. And it, it's so when you pull it back, it like stretches you at the same time, which is half my problem with my golf game is that I'm not very flexible. So. Um, so I golf like I'm an 84 year old man. So, um, which is my score. I wish was an 84. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it was one of those where I was like, ah, I got this new stretching tool and go out and stretch a little bit and, um, walked around the house a little bit just to get, get refreshed. Yeah, I uh, so for, and this is a, a real behind the scenes. I went upstairs and on on one hand, I got some chicken out to marinate it for dinner uh, immediately following the show. So if you hear my stomach rumbling, it's because I'm about to cook some some nice teriyaki chicken. And on the other hand, my wife goes, you've got another interview today. You've been down there all day. What are you doing? I'm like, honey, this is very important. Don't you understand my and like when I give her the my podcast thing, like 
she it just it doesn't compute she's a, a completely different profession a teacher um it holds no water with her uh that i run a podcast and it's basically like what well, you and everybody else <laughs> so got a a, a healthy ration she's um, not wrong uh she's not wrong uh but a healthy ration of shit when i went up there mixed with some i guess some potentially tasty chicken that was weird but uh anyways We've got an amazing guest today, uh, and we're going to bring our, our guest on now. It is Mr. Kevin Indig, uh, SEO director at Shopify. Kevin, welcome Hello. to the show. How's it going? It's going great, actually. Uh, we have Good Friday today, uh, which means all my Canadian colleagues are enjoying some time off, and I enjoy, enjoy some productivity time, so often really good. Very well earned. And Kevin, where where in the world are you? Because I'm I'm detecting a a bit of an accent, and I'm not familiar with where you're where you're from. That's a good point. Uh, I was born and raised in Germany. Okay. My dad is American. Mom's German. Came over to the U.S. six years ago. Lived in the San Francisco Bay Area until about half a year ago, or maybe a bit longer than half a year, and then recently migrated to Chicago. So did a complete 180 when it comes to weather. Yeah, and eventually, yeah, it's it is a complete uh, complete one eighty going from uh, Germany, but then San Francisco, which is typically warm, nice, fair weather, and then Chicago, which is very Midwest, lots of cold, snow, windy, blustery. Uh, it reminds me of my uh, my. So I went on vacation, which is why we're re-recording episodes, uh, you know, twice in one in one day. Uh, yesterday, I was in ninety degree weather. And when I got home, and that was in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and 90 degrees is cold there, by the way. Uh, who, the people that we visited, uh, my in-laws, were very cold and not very happy to be swimming in 90-degree weather, um, which is pretty funny by itself. But then we get back, and it's April 1st, 30 degrees in Ohio. Very typical. And uh, my kids were not very happy about that. And <laughs> neither was <Yeah>. I. <laughs> Yeah, time to move. Uh, I'm going to San Francisco where Kevin Kevin was. Yeah, it's a it's a fun place. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say it's hell expensive. It's like the the weather and the living costs they they run proportionally. Yeah, that's why the South is so appealing to people now. Just my house was the same price as what it was up north to an extent, but like my taxes are one eighth of what they were up there, and we get like ten times more. Um, I got to deal with some you know, old time uh, people here that, that don't see the pr- progress the world's making, but at the same time, we are changing that a little bit. So. There you go. And you're, you're one state away from uh, Florida, man. Yeah. Dot, dot, which, dot, so at least I'm at the what top of Georgia. <laughs> I'm at the top of Georgia. So Florida's, but I am going there next week. So I will be into Florida beaches. They do have beautiful beaches. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to be going back to the roots of season one when I did not have a co-host. I don't I don't know if I'm going to know yeah. how to how to survive without somebody breaking, uh, breaking apart the awkwardness. <laughs> well, I add a lot more awkwardness to it. Then, so it might, yeah, it might you do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to people listening to this now, if you listen to the episode before, we made Jeff a super, super the technical SEOs, technical SEO uh ask all of the content marketing questions which was pretty funny to uh watch him squirm a little bit when uh when he had to ask questions about content so it's like content is that really important (laughs) is it i don't know uh i don't know (laughs) 
Anyways, uh, so so Jeff, uh, why don't you cover off on? We've got a couple of things before we before we interview Kevin. A couple of things we want to touch on that are very important. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you'll you'll know. But we want to make sure for those new listeners that you know about these a uh, uh, couple of organizations that that we like to put yeah. our thoughts behind. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the one that we're you know promoting is it's because of the sudden passing of, of Hamlet is. Um, RankSense and his company. Um, it, it's one of those tools out there that is kind of cutting edge. I mean, we've, if you listen to, um, you know, like Dan Taylor or a lot of technical SEOs, they talk about edge SEO a lot. And what RankSense does is it actually makes that easy. <laughs> like you don't actually need to, like, I mean, it's good to learn it all, of course, but it's really great for one of those um, tools that will actually help you implement things on your website uh, with minimal, I mean, the initial setup, you'll probably need some of your engineering time, but after that, you'll be able to run tests and and um, get things implemented a lot faster uh, through RankSense's tool. And you'll be able to find out by running tools across, um, you know, all the content title tags and meta descriptions and being able to run tests on those to know what works. Um, also, if you wanted to implement things like body content, this is one thing I always, um, and Kev working, you know, in e-commerce world, it's like, category pages always stink at content and like i would always want to get content installed on or implemented in there and and devs would be like oh well we're using indeca and we can't do that on this and and that so using a tool like RankSense will allow you to kind of create like a meta cms that'll allow you to be able to implement things in there and show uh you know prove that things will work so that way then we can go back to the engineering and say this is the stuff that works and we need to be able to implement that there so it kind of takes any of that seo guesswork out of it um we one of the topics we're going to be talking about today is testing an SEO. Um, so this is a tool that, that can definitely help us test out. And the way that it works is that it, it, it works with integrates with Cloudflare and uses edge workers to, to um, push your content or changes out on the, on the edge. Um, so into the C, CDNs that allow you to um, allow Google to read the content that's going on there without necessarily changing what's happening on your backend. Um, it's pretty easy to use. Um, I, I've never used it, but I, from what Jake said is like, you can upload a, a Google sheet or a sheet to it and all your changes will get uploaded into those pages. So that's actually yeah. one thing that's, um, hey, we all work in spreadsheets every day. It's like, it's great if I can just like send one up there and there's, there's my optimization. It's right? literally a freaking Google sheet. That's not, no coding involved. You want to update a page title, a meta description, so on and so forth. Like it's literally just put it in a Google sheet and it gets published yeah. on your website. Like the reason I did this for those people that get that reference, it's literally like some Dr. Evil shit it's a it's a, it's like <laughs> such an amazing idea like doesn't meta cms like meta cms doesn't that sound like <laughs> like something dr evil would cook up it's just it's it's awesome uh it's a really awesome product uh and it's a super creative way to solve what is probably the biggest problem on the agency side and that's implementation uh in hamlet yeah. especially when he talked with us it was very clear that he was uh, very much an efficiency and a speed guy uh, in terms of getting things done as quickly and as efficiently as as possible and breaking down the barriers to get things done. And that's exactly what this tool uh, what this tool does. It's pretty pretty amazing, uh, and it is uh, incredibly forward thinking. In the and he's and of course he was always very forward thinking in the in the. Oh, yeah. uh, the way that he, uh, especially with Python, uh, but you know, plenty of other yep. areas. The way the way that he kind of thought about 
the industry a little bit differently, very much kind of on the bleeding edge of things. No, I totally agree. And, and he was one of those guys also that always, I mean, we've, I think we've talked about Hamlet a thousand times so far, like, yeah. uh, even before his passing, he was, just, was like an inspiration to a lot of people. And, and just, uh, especially on the technical SEO side, you know, I don't know about those content people over there, but it's uh, <laughs> on the technical side of SEO. And he, he was like an inspiration on, and it's just such a great person to talk to. And it's like, he, all of that goes through into his product, right? It's like he, he was putting this product together, which was um, to make it really easy for everyone to be able to use. And I know he had a motto, like everything, like why waste, or, you know, the, he was against the wait for six months for, you know, us to see results and know instantly. And, and then that tools like this allow us to test and know way quicker than in the past. Like if you just updated on the whole site, by the time you get around to the results and, and know if it worked or not, like you might've just did some negative effects. So the ability to be able to, to implement some of this, see if it's positive and if it's positive, then push it out to the whole, whole site is great. If you work at an agency, time is of the essence, right? You typically run on time-based contracts. You've got three months, six months, 12 months, and that's the amount of time that you have to achieve the results that the client yeah. is expecting. And when they get to the end of that contract, uh, quite honestly, typically they don't give a shit about the fact that you couldn't get stuff implemented because the development was queue. The development queue was 10 months long, right? Yeah. All they care about is what's the bottom line. I paid you money. Did you get me results or not? Uh, and sometimes it's a really tough conversation. And I think this is one of those tools that makes that, uh, that entire cycle a lot easier. Right. I, I pity the fools that work at agencies. I'm kidding. I was an agency guy my whole life. You were. <laughs> um, now I've seen the lights. You've seen the light. You're in house. Uh, so let's also let's also touch on um, United Search. So uh, we won't do the full live read. We've been promoting United Search, uh, you know, quite a bit this season. Um, so if you want to know more about United Search, it's just uh, UnitedSearch.org. And the confusing part, their Twitter handle is Search underscore United. So it's actually like. A little bit, a little bit backwards, which gets me tongue twisted uh, a little bit sometimes when talking about it. But the the big thing that they're uh, into and that we're into is making sure that there is kind of fair and balanced uh, representation uh, for everybody, uh, and that uh, is is not just generally in the industry, but specific to public speaking, speaking engagements, uh, and for people who are in an underrepresented underrepresented group, uh, so your BIPOC, BAME, LGBTQIA+, or over 55 women, uh, basically anybody that's not me or Jeff, middle-aged white guy, uh, it, it, this is a group to help you uh, figure out how you can land public speaking engagements, which as it, as it stands now, the industry Anytime you look at a speaker lineup, uh, especially if you've been in SEO anytime in the last 10 years, uh, you'll see a lot of the same sorts of people recycled. And while some of them may be good, uh, there definitely hasn't historically been a lot of balance. And this organization is really dedicated towards uh, ending some of that implicit bias and really kind of balancing out uh, the, the roll call of, uh, speakers and giving some new voices and some new people, uh, the opportunity. And it's also, there's also an opportunity if you're experienced to be a mentor. Uh, and I know that they've gotten that program under the, uh, underway. So, uh, definitely go check them out. Uh, it is uh, a more informal relationship that, that we have, 
uh, with them. It's not like a formal sponsorship. It's just something that's near and dear to our heart. And, uh, you know, yeah. we, we want to make sure that the perspectives that we're bringing to the industry through our podcast are fair and balanced. We want to hear from everybody, uh, big and small or, uh, or, and I shouldn't even say it that way, uh, experienced, inexperienced, uh, somebody that's known, somebody that's not known, uh, somebody in-house, somebody uh, agency side. We want all the perspectives. Uh, we believe that they're, they're all very important. So that's probably a more eloquent way to say it. Anyways, uh, so uh, Kevin, it's your time on the uh on the hot seat and dare i say uh from the outside looking in having never met kevin until literally uh 20 minutes ago uh i think it's pretty fair to say that kevin is one of the most respected uh seos kind of uh on the planet at this point uh i, I don't know jeff what what do you think definitely yeah so i mean reaching out to him you know yeah. kevin i'll say we're reaching out to you to do the podcast it's it's like no it's my pleasure and i'm like Ah, so nice. No, <laughs> right, I, right. I on it, on top it. of all the knots. You guys are pleasant too and humble. Pleasant and humble. So, Kevin, tell us about your your background, your origin story. Um, who were you before you were an SEO, and how did you get into SEO? Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I had a lot of luck getting on the right track quickly and early in my career. So, born in Germany. Um, I think my first exposure to SEO was around 16 years old. Um, I grew up a gamer kid, you know, when I was, gosh, I must have been nine, maybe 10 years old when the first Game Boy came out, you know, Sega Mega Drive, Super Nintendo, that, that kind of, that left a huge imprint on my childhood. Um, and of course it, it, it ventured over into computer gaming and then became really hot when broadband internet became available in Germany. Uh, so I was sitting there, you know, uh, burning away the the um, the money of my father uh, when when the internet was still charged by the minute. Oh gosh, yeah. I had some, I brought in some hefty bills. Poor dad. Um, but uh, anyway, so at some point, um, I wanted to play tournaments with my with my friends, and we played uh, Counter Strike, Starcraft, Warcraft, Diablo, those kind of games. And so for a tournament, you needed to have a website. And I was the guy to figure out how to build a website. I taught myself crappy HTML, CSS, a little bit of Photoshop, and uh, build a website completely in tables. It was horrendous. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah. then I ventured a bit deeper into that, uh, built some websites for other people. And sometimes they would even pay me, but it wasn't. it was nothing crazy. I still remember... I don't know if I ever talked about this uh, publicly, but I still remember that there was like a, a C4D software, which is basically is architecture type of stuff where they create 3D models. And there was a there was a trend um, when I started learning all that stuff where you would create abstract graphics with some filters and then cut them out and implement it in your background of the website. And it was kind of that designer thing. That was the hottest shit. Um, and uh, that led me on the on the bandwagon of SEO. Uh, at some point, I asked myself where all these people coming from who visit the site. Then I started to learn about this concept of a search engine and what Google is or other search engines at the time. Um, so I kind of I I, uh, I followed down the rabbit hole. And there was a lot of self teaching, reading forums at night, and talking to other people, and being completely mind blown. Um, but then I didn't get the first chance to really start into into the career of SEO until after I graduated from college. So I went to college. Uh, I went to a business school in Germany um, that taught completely in English, um, and um, I, I was still 
for, for me at the point at the time SEO was still kind of this almost like hobby or or interesting thing you do but I never really considered a career because I could not imagine anybody paying for that really yep. and so I was more in the tra trajectory of a traditional career my father is a doctor I wanted to become a doctor all my life um, at 18 realized that the job is not the ideal that you want to go for when, you know, you see your father being a doctor, there's a lot more paperwork and bureaucracy and so on. So I decided to go into business. Um, and um, I actually got the chance to um, work at a private bank in Switzerland after college. So I did that. I thought that was the, that was fantastic. You know, I thought maybe going into uh, investment banking, uh, mergers and acquisition, these kind of things. And it's probably because it comes full circle, right? Because now I'm, I'm, last couple of years have been more involved in these kind of topics again. So that's fun. But um, um, at least mergers and acquisition. But back at the time, I thought that was the path. And um, then a year in, I realized eh, that's not, that's like a dying industry to a degree, you know, like, first of all, Switzerland was not the money hub anymore that used to be investment or private banking is sounds cool, but it's not as cool until you're really like at Goldman Sachs or some of these uh, companies and you're doing really crazy uh, M&A deals. Um, and so I, uh, I decided to pivot completely and start a traineeship at an enterprise agency in Germany. And that was, that, that changed everything that put me on the, on the speed track. Uh, Cause I learned everything on the job. I was really taught SEO. Um, and it was, it was, an SEO or one of the best SEO agencies in Germany. And uh, I was very lucky to get in there. And they really, they, they took me by the hand and they, they taught me everything. And then things took off from there. So I think we actually, we've got a very common background. Um, I, I, and I'm honestly going to say, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast, except for maybe my own bio episode, maybe not even then. Um, so I also was born in Germany. Uh, yeah. And I'm, a am uh, very, very much, uh, you know, from the United States, been here most of my life with the exception of my first two years. Um, and I was, and this might date me a little bit. I was born in Germany at a time when it was still West and East Germany. Yes. So I don't know, Kevin, well, like, were you pre or post West and East or, you know, were you just, you know, after the, the uh the berlin wall coming down like were you before or after that time i was before three years before the wall came down i was born okay. um in the west grew up in the west lived in the west uh where where, where, where were you born v spot in oh, yeah. uh, which I believe is southwest yeah that's not far away at all it's like an that's, hour from where i'm from that is um I'm, I'm amazed that you even that you even know that because from what i understand it's a and i don't remember any of it very very small town my dad, the reason I was born there, not because I was from there or anybody that I knew was from there, it was because my dad was in the Air Force at the time. So I was an Air Force brat and uh, he was stationed overseas on the island of Crete, which is off the coast of Greece. Uh, so for those uh, fans of history, the island, of, the island of Crete has a lot of history. Uh, gosh, probably going back a, a couple of thousand thousand years with uh, the Greeks and the Spartans and so on and so forth. But even more recently, World War II, uh, in, in which case, obviously, the, the Allies won World War II. So, of course, now there are U.S. bases, or there were at that time, uh, on Crete. And he was stationed, I believe, at a place called the Arachleon, uh Air Force Base. 
And from what I understand, this is the way he told it, uh, they did not have like the proper facilities there to be delivering babies. My mom was pregnant, so they went to Germany. That's where I was delivered. Uh, and that's how I kind of came into came into existence. Uh, and then fast forward it, I also self-taught, uh, started as uh, a web designer, not a gamer. Uh, of course I did gaming, but self, self-taught as well. Uh, learned HTML, CSS, uh, learned, you know, kind of your basic coding, Dreamweaver, little bit of Photoshop. Uh, and I started as a graphic, uh, a graphic designer. Uh, fun fact, the first website I ever built uh, was a blog spot and it had music in the background that you could not turn off because I thought that was cool. And also flashing lightning. And it was a, <laughs> it was a badass website for sure. <laughs> but really I, annoying in today's terms. <laughs> I think I still have my first website somewhere. It was on a zip disk, if that makes sense. Is it really <laughs> a website if it's on a zip disk? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, I downloaded it. I like, that's where I would save everything. Um, because when I was in, uh, community college i took an html class and that was part of the prerequisites you needed a zip drive that was scuzzy and the only like the only scuzzy device i ever had was that mac that was at school so like i had to like figure out how to hook that up so i had like a scuzzy to parallel port adapter and stuff to make it work at home but i um (laughs) i i have to dig it up because i know i took that everything off of those zip disks before i got rid of the zip drive so i have it on like a, a web the big like I have an Amazon cloud account that has like every file that I've ever made on it. So wow. a lot of files. Um, yeah. So, so Kevin, so you mentioned you started uh, at an agency that kind of, they, they took you and they kind of brought you, brought you up. So what, what agency was that? Was that search metrics or was there something before that? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't yet search metrics. It was an agency called the reach group. And to be fair, they, so somebody else owns that name in Germany today. So it's, okay. a, it's the same name, different company. And it was, uh, you know, I was, I was like, life is crazy sometimes, man. It was, it was legit luck that I stumbled into them. I don't know how I convinced them to take me up as a trainee, uh, but they had some of the best SEOs who then went out to become big in-house SEOs or start their own agencies today. Uh, so it was a really kind of, it was a very interesting, exciting moment, I would say in, in kind of German um, SEO history and uh, that, yeah, I did that for a couple of years. They really tuned me up, taught me everything, including, you know, all the meta skills, the consulting stuff. Uh, because at the time, SEO was still a dark magic black box. I mean, it still kind of is, but not as dark anymore. And uh, we would go to enterprise companies, huge companies like like Bosch and, and Tour and so on, like public billion dollar companies, and would go to, you know, like CEOs and general managers who are way older than us and telling them how to invest like some of their money into this new thing that that they would not understand. Right. So being exposed to that early on really taught me a lot. And um, then after a couple of years in, I uh, I was lucky to join Search Metrics. And that's because um, not to not to make the story too long, but uh Similar, you can imagine how tight the SEO scene in Germany is, right? Everybody kind of knows everybody. There's this conference that everybody meets at once a year. Uh, there's several, but there's this one that is kind of the, you know, the the the, um, the, the touch point for everybody. And I met Marcus Tober there, the founder um, and then CEO of Search Metrics. I knew he was looking for someone in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
Um, and I, had, I didn't really play. I mean, I always wanted to live in the U.S. My, uh, all my life, but it wasn't. I wasn't that I looked for this. Um, I, I saw this position. I wanted to pitch him, but I, I didn't want to talk to him about it because I found it interesting. And he told me, "Well, you know, we don't really want to send someone over because it's very tricky with the visa and the paperwork and all that kind of stuff." Um, and then I told him, "Hey, you know, I got this paper that says I can live and work in the U.S." Um, maybe we should talk and he was like yeah let's talk and a week later he invited me to berlin three hours away i went to this crazy interview that took six hours um and uh, i drove home and i was you know uh i would have never thought that i got the interview the, the job right i was like this is a complete disaster because they had me like whiteboard what a search engine looks like what the different elements are how it works html code everything all that stuff right and then to the news i knew many of these parts but uh, man, that interview was deep and heavy. So uh, next morning he calls me and he's like, "Okay, I can, I can see, I can see myself working with you." And I was like, uh, "Okay, amazing." And he was like, "Well, so we need you to come to Berlin for a couple of months, and then we'll send you over to the U.S." I was like, "Oh shoot, okay." And so we did it. You know, he gave me a chance. Definitely took a gamble on me. Um, and then I went to uh, the Bay Area for search metrics. And I, my job, my, my job was basically to um, lead and build the professional services team. So Searchmetrics obviously is a software vendor uh, with a heavy enterprise focus, but some clients have more agency needs. And so we're something like an in-house agency for Searchmetrics clients. Um, and I worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. That was another one of these accelerators where I just got you know, uh, the, the chance to work with some of the best. So eBay was one of them. Um, and they would send me to the eBay campus to work a full day every week for over a year. So I was basically almost part of the eBay SEO team. Uh, and so we, I mean, like that domain is there's just some crazy stuff you can, yeah. you can try out. And so we like, we moved, we did things like move subdomains to subdirectories and saw like immediate impact, but it's not this kind of before and after test. They have like a, a team of data scientists that will tell you how long to run the test, what to look out for, what metrics, all the kind of stuff. Similar to how we have it at Shopify today. Uh, and we had some stuff with content on e-commerce and whatnot. So I think we, like it was not, not necessarily rocket science, but I think we we're able to test things with some of the highest fidelity I had ever seen because eBay is such a large, scalable, and trustworthy domain. And so where did you go after, after search metrics? You've got, a, in my opinion, like a fairly impressive resume and and uh not only that it seems like every every opportunity was a slight stepping stone up 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 um so where did you go after that yeah so after search metrics i joined a company called daily motion which is a youtube competitor over gosh i think at the time we had over 300 million indexed pages so huge ginormous site um i was director of seo there um, that company was then bought by a conglomerate called Bibendi and they own Universal Music and a couple of other huge companies. Um, and they consolidated quite a bit and moved all the resources back to either New York City or Paris, France. And I wanted to stay in the Bay Area uh, and I had done a little bit of site consulting for Atlassian. So Atlassian took me on full time. Uh, I joined them as head of technical SEO, then head of SEO and a couple of other inbound channels, stayed there for a couple of years then hit a hit a kind of um, how should I call it? Like I, I came to a point where I wanted to take the next step. There was no kind of good opportunity for me at Atlassian, so put myself out there um, and um, got an opportunity to join G two, 
as a VP of SEO and content. G2 is a B2B software marketplace slash review site. Um, and then I, you know, this, this kind of opportunity at Shopify uh, fell into my lap. And so in December of last year, I joined Shopify as director of SEO. So what, what was it about Shopify after coming off of G2 um, that made you want to make the, the jump and the transition? It is a good question. It was by no means planned. I was actually very happy at G2. I think it's a fantastic company and we did a a lot of amazing things at G2. Um, And I was very lucky and happy to find a great successor uh, who's now doing a really good job. And um, so it was not planned. I got connected through a mentor with Luc Lebec, who is the VP of growth at Shopify. and um, it was basically much more aligned with my mission. You know, I have my, my personal mission um, on my website. I, have, I had it there for years, right? So it's not something that just recently came up uh, with to justify my move to Shopify. Yeah. It's been there for a while. Uh, and so I think Shopify has a, a, a very impactful mission. It's, it's, a, it's a $100 billion company instead of a $100 million company. And I'm sure G2 will grow and will be, will be a fantastic big company. Um, and I was, you know, able to work with, amazing people like Luke, like Morgan Brown, like now Ilya Grigoric joined um, not too long ago from Google. And it's this, this kind of all-star team and one of these opportunities that I didn't, that I wasn't looking for in any, meaning, any means, um, but it's just one of these that I couldn't, I couldn't pass on. You weren't looking for it, but it found you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, that's kind of what happened when you put yourself out there and you kind of build your personal brand. It's, mm-hmm. I've, I've been lucky too with that. It's like, I mean, I'm not nearly known as, as, as big as Kevin, but I can just imagine how many offers you probably are recruiters you get uh, <laughs> just in, in general with people reaching out uh, because I know how many I get and and it's half of them don't even make sense. I had, I got a level piece, uh, PPC job just put, floated my way. And I was like, have you even looked at my LinkedIn? Like, and you wouldn't even <laughs> notice <laughs> And there, yeah. and there she was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm just, I think they just blast it all out there, which is they do. They do. Like yeah. you, you still get uh, offers when you just join a new company, you know, like, yeah. Hey, I, two months ago, I joined a company. Why would I now look, you know, so it's, but anyway, that's, that's its own game. And I came to, came to peace with it. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's true when you're more out there. Um, and to be honest, that helped me immensely when I left Atlassian. Um, that was the first time in my career where I didn't have the next job lined up. And instead I said, hey, let me finish this clean slate, bring everything to an end. And then from January 1st on, I'll be a free agent. And then I, I, I publicly said, hey, I'm looking for a job who wants to talk. It was the, that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life because so many companies reached out to me. Um, many of those didn't even have an official job posting. They were like, hey, we want, we want to create this position. Let's talk. And so I had the, the opportunity to talk to some amazing companies. And so whenever, you know, I think whenever we can do that, um, granted, I don't have kids, I don't have a family, I don't have, you know, all these responsibilities yet. Um, but when you can a bit, be a bit selfish um, and you want to make a career change, build a bit of a personal brand, push yourself out there, um, that, that does wonders for you. Yeah. How did you go from head of technical SEO the VP of content <laughs> in an SEO. Um, I, I mean, I guess in you, looking through your resume, I mean, you've done it all. So, I mean, it makes sense. I just, I just found it interesting when I was looking. I was like, well, you went from the head of technical SEO to like head of VP of SEO and content at G2. <laughs> um, Jeff, which Jeff, is like, that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't even think content matters. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. I think, on the one hand, to to be fair, I was doing more than just technical SEO at last in, yeah. uh, toward the one to two last years that I've been at the company. Um, and on the other hand, I think there are two ways you can go about it. Right? There's you can go deeper and become more specialized. Uh, there's some amazing people out there, and you, then you get to this point where uh, you have you're, you're technical and good enough where you. You um, automate many workflows yourself. You write your own scripts, right? You go to a really, really deep foundational level where the line between um, a marketer and an engineer legitimately blurs, and that's mm-hmm. fantastic. And the world needs more people like that, and and you know that's amazing. Or you go the other way, where you go more upstream and um, uh, you broaden your your horizon and. Um, I wanted to I wanted to broaden up to be honest, um, and that's where this kind of intersection of VP, uh, sorry, of uh, content and SEO, made a lot of sense for me. Um, and I think that's the trajectory I want to follow. Um, but I spent a lot of time on the technical side. I went deep, I think, to a to a limit that felt um, legit to me, and I knew that from there, the marginal gains and understanding come from months of pounding different libraries and code and all that kind of stuff and um i think i felt good with how how deep i went and then i wanted to go the other way yeah that's um that's kind of where i'm where i'm at where i've historically been known as a as a technical seo and therefore it's like the chicken or egg um all the technical seo opportunities get assigned to me and it becomes really hard to branch out, but I get more personal enjoyment from going upstream and doing content marketing and uh, kind of living on that side of the fence. And I would say in terms of like uh, career, like craft fulfillment, my time in-house uh, at startups.com, uh, we focus mostly on content marketing and it was so much fun. Uh, not that I don't like, I. I I enjoy technical SEO. I don't enjoy getting bucketed into it. Um, uh, you know, my favorite days sometimes can be like writing structured data, but like my favorite uh, thing to work on in SEO, of course, is is the content side of things. It's really, uh, really interesting. So that's why we, you know, we always tell everybody like, try to dabble in a little bit of everything. Uh, you can be a, a you don't want to be a jack of all trades, master of none. So find an area to specialize, right? But you have to be able to play in a lot of different spaces, if for nothing else, so that you don't get bucketed in one direction that you can never get out of. Uh, which sometimes, like Jeff, you, I mean, as a primarily technical SEO, I, have you ever in your career felt like bottlenecked by the fact that you were a technical SEO? You know, it, it was amazing. It's still amazing because I still am one. Um, you know, I run the tech SEO Reddit group. I run, I have my, my domains, the tech SEO.com. I like, I went all in on that. And because I didn't, there weren't as many back when I went all in on it. And now it's like, holy cow, so many people are tech SEOs. And which maybe I'm like just opening my eyes to it, but they were like, there's some really, 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 really good people in there that now make me question whether I should even like question that, like Patrick Stocks and J.R. Oaks and, and all these people, though they're the nicest people in the world and they will help me out with anything I need. I just sometimes I'm like, how do you like, J.R. went from like making like glass windows to like an amazing technical SEO. And I'm just like, wow, this is great. I mean, I, 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 the one thing I love about the tech side is that there's, it's just, 
there's so many different like configurations and the technology is always pushing forward. Um, and I wasn't very good at writing growing up. <laughs> so uh, I, I was a better at writing code than I was writing, um, you know, content. And, and I do at times, like I, at one time I was like, I'm going to start writing blogs. And, and I like have like 23 of them started and none of them finished because I'm just like, I'll be writing something. And then I have someone that's amazing at content, like posties out there. And I'm like, oh, who cares about me? And that's part of the imposter syndrome, right? It's like, it's yeah. like, Hey, like who, like I have nothing to add to that topic that I, you know, that JR or, or Pat like stocks is like crazy writing them now. Um, so having him like write about page speed, it's like, well, he covered everything I was going to say. You know, I'll just link to him on Twitter. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like go. the SEO version of Michelangelo talking about painting the Sistine Chapel. I mean, come exactly. On. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so Kevin, are are you a, a writer? Do you consider yourself good at writing? And do you feel like you have to be a good writer to be a good content marketer? That is a very good question. Um, I would not. I don't think I would consider myself a good writer. I do enjoy writing, though. Um, to me, writing is thinking. I do write a ton and I publish some of it. Um, and I'm not sure if you have to be a good writer to be a great content marketer, uh, similar to how you, I don't think you have to be a, a good coder to be a good technical SEO. Uh, you have to have an eye for it and you have to have an eye for good content and what, what good content means, right? Like we live in this world where anybody can create content. It's easier than ever. Everybody does create content and the bar and production cost for outstanding content gets higher and higher. So nowadays it's, it's an all or nothing game. You either have some of the best yeah. content in the world or you don't matter. It's that level that we're at. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a, you know, uh, as an SEO or a content marketer, you need to be able to recognize what that means in a specific context, meaning agnostic to the actual topic and just across different topics or have a system in place that helps you understand when that content is outstanding. Uh, and I think it's the same with technical SEO. I think you can be an amazing technical SEO. You don't have to be able to reverse engineer uh, a complete React app, you know, without any right. any comments or guidance. But at the same time, you need to be able to understand the, the basic steps from crawling, rendering, you know, indexing, ranking, everything in between there. Yeah. When a technical issue occurs, how to find technical issues. And if you can then sit down with an actual engineer, to figure out what exactly caused that issue, that is fine too, you know, but that's that's how I look at it. So speaking of creating content, uh, this little thing called podcasting uh, has, has started to grow. Uh, and um, 10 years ago, if you had a podcast, that was some really tricky stuff technologically, right? You were, uh, you were, way, ahead of the, you were way ahead of the game. If you have a podcast today, it's, it's no big thing. It's like the blog of, of 10 years ago. So everybody, everybody has a podcast. The barrier to entry has never been lower. It's really easy to do. Kevin, you've started a, you've started a podcast and I'm probably setting this up horribly, but since we're on the, on the, the line of of content creation, what inspired you to start your podcast? It was a tech bound podcast, by the way. Thank you. Yep. It was the same thing that inspired me to publish some of my writing or or start speaking. I was doing a lot of that already. You know, um, the writing thing was that I was writing for myself to clarify my thoughts. And at some point, I was like, "Why don't I just publish that stuff and get some feedback?" And then it opened the door to first of all getting amazing feedback. You know, I now have a newsletter with almost five thousand subscribers, which means that 
any email that I send out, I get at least one person that tells me, hey, this is what I see, or have you have you considered this and that? And that is immensely valuable. And um, at, at the same time, it's, just, it's very similar with podcasting. Uh, it ac- actually came up because I was having these amazing conversations at conferences and you get into this like flow and, and you have like this, you feel this great energy and you're just riffing off of each other. And I was like, oh, I wish I could store that because then you go to the bar and you forget everything or you drink too much or you just sleep. And the next morning you're like, oh, I, I only remember 50% of yeah. what we talked about. And I was like, damn, I want to record that. And that's how the podcast actually came to be. And you see the, the early episodes they were all in person. So I actually bought um, a Zoom recorder and uh, the, the Zoom HD, not, not the Zoom software. Uh, and I bought two mics and I actually met with people and I recorded on my phone. Um, and we recorded this conversation. We're just riffing, just like, you know, just talking about stuff that was interesting to us. Uh, and now, of course, everything is digitally and I can't wait for things to open up again for me to go on tour and speak to more people live uh, because you create that energy and you want to capture it. Uh, and that's, that's the motivation of the podcast, you know? And so I think that, I think it can be interesting. Uh, I think there's some really valuable nuggets in there, um, but it's not this, this, to me, it's not a thing that I want to focus hundred percent energy on to take it to 10,000 downloads a month or something, you know, um, neither do I have the time, uh, but it's more of a passion project that I want to share with people who are interested in it that I personally enjoy um, and try to make it as accessible as possible for everyone. So would you rather podcast or write? Yeah, that is honestly a question <laughs> or, that I've been... Or do your newsletter. Seems like like all three take up to do it well, it takes time. I don't, yeah. I don't like and you're only one person how do you how do you balance that it's crazy yeah you know th- there's a, a lot happening with the newsletter and the writing um, a lot of the writing is is funnel, funneled into the newsletter um, the podcast is a net new thing that that, that certainly takes some time and so um, with the newsletter for uh, sorry with the podcast I try to batch it a lot um, so I, I whenever I have some time you know like today for example is a good day because Canada is off it's good Friday so I have a bit of time at hand it doesn't hurt me too much in my actual work so I set aside an hour to record a podcast I just uh, talk to, to Pavlaya who's a super smart guy um, with the writing that's that's that that has kind of lots of benefits and it's more like a um, like a residue or a byproduct of my thinking that goes on anyway. Plus I do actually think that by me formulating my thoughts into words, um, I have to clarify those ideas and that has a positive impact on my actual work at Shopify or anything else that I do. So there is, there is an overlap in the benefit, but it's true. Like I have to be very, very diligent uh, and careful with my time because I need to weigh every minute of the day at this point. Um, and if I had to, to, it's actually a question that I have been asking myself, which one would I prefer? And I'm still wrestling with the right answer because on the one hand, I think, um, not that I think that I'm a great writer, but I think I'm a better writer than a, than a podcaster. Uh, part of that is the accent. Part of that is just that, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it's not, it's not there are many people out there with a fantastic personality and charisma and they're funny and they're all this kind of stuff right um and so i I don't think i'm necessarily that um but it's certainly a format that i find to be it more efficient in production than writing right if i write say like a thousand words it will probably take me two to maybe three hours depending on the topic um with with a podcast i can 
I can literally just talk to someone else, right? I did play uh, and just like turn it on and record it and like prepare some questions and stuff, but it's it's way lower production cost than, than, than writing. I did play with the thought a little bit about starting a podcast um, that is act, like fully produced, that is not an interview or conversational format, but that has an, an actual like production. Um, and then just very quickly um, realized that the, the the time it takes is, is way too large. And so I'll, I'll, I'll park that project for another time in the future. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think starting up 10 years ago, I, I blogged, right? And then I, I, I think I quickly realized the same, the same thing that I, maybe other people, it comes easier, the, the, the writing aspect and the clarifying of, of thought. And not only that, in order to do it, I feel like you have to have an interesting enough perspective to, to warrant even putting out there. But yeah. to actually get the words out of my head and onto paper, uh, it takes a lot of time. Uh, and podcasting, at least for me, uh, is an area where I decided to to focus on because it combines kind of all of the elements of it's it's a lot easier, at least in terms of the front end, actually actual production of content. Uh, now, you know, you can argue that the editing and everything that goes into it on the back end that has nothing to do with podcasting, things like booking guests, uh, editing audio, you know, doing Photoshop for the promotion, doing social media like that has its place in, in time. And, and I don't think you fully realize what all goes into that um, until you kind of get in. Um, but it is a much easier medium for me to get my, and for a lot of other people to get, uh, to get my thoughts kind of put out there um, and to capture some of these conversations that I have like every day in my day-to-day job with colleagues, uh, you know, whether it be people that I work with, people that I don't work with. Um, the, the secret cheat code of podcasting I, we found out recently is it's a great way to meet people. Um, you know, we can't, totally. be in, we can't be in person uh, you know, like a, you know, a conference, but we can talk to people through zoom. The, the technology is there to, to enable that, um, where maybe it wasn't, uh, wasn't before. Um, that being said, I think it's time to, we've got a really amazing, uh, core topic. And I think that this, uh, this episode, the core topic is something we've never talked about before. I don't think we've ever mentioned, this this like <laughs> string of words yeah. together you know there's a lot of times we'll talk about technical seo we'll talk about content we'll talk about offsite we'll talk about local uh all of the common topics this has never i don't even think i've ever seen this phrase until i opened up the prep sheet before the meeting and it's freaking it's a fantastic topic so it is yeah. called zero based seo so i'm gonna let you guys go jeff you're gonna i will let yeah, you know this portion but it's I'm, I'm excited to dive in. Yeah. So when I was talking with Kevin, I was like, what, what would you like want to talk about? And he was like, there's one thing that I've been kind of preaching about the last you know, few months and that's zero based SEO. And I, and I was like, ah, what is that? <laughs> and how can we talk about that? So we really, uh, he went, you know, I went to your, your website, read it on the blogs. And I was like, this is super interesting. And this is something that like, I think we've, we've never talked about here, but it's, I think it's something that really couldn't be done in the past i think it's like with newer technologies like rank sense and, and things like that like there's able ways to be able to get this done so but without kind of like beating around the bush kev what is zero-based seo sure 
So the deep end zero-based SEO comes from zero-based budgeting, where there are basically two two types of budgeting. The one is uh, where you, um, when you plan for the next year, you basically keep the budget you had the previous year. Um, and the other one is the zero-based budgeting, where you say, okay, you, you for every year you plan, uh, sorry, you plan from scratch what you need, and then you budget accordingly. And I love that idea because I think we're at an inflection point in SEO where things have become so complicated and at the same time so query specific that we cannot apply the same blueprint to every site that we work with, right? So it used, I still remember uh, at the beginning, um, early in my career, um, I, I was taught this kind of almost like checklist to go through. Uh, we'll do these big audits for websites and uh, we would make all the changes and they would, you know, um, gain traffic. And that doesn't really work anymore today, right? There's so many factors and signals that come in handy. Uh, I think EAT is a fantastic uh, representation of this concept where it's not really um, a uh, in itself a ranking signal, but more the concept of many, maybe thousands of different signals that Google yeah. might look at, right? And so the, the reality is that we still have a, a, a high-level map of what's important. We know that, for example, title text clearly have a big impact you know content is important backlinks are important right user experience becomes more important now but from there it's i think it's it's foolish to go in and say oh um this all the content uh has two h1s and that's going to make that we have to invest 100 engineering hours to change that right and instead uh i'm, I'm a big advocate and champion of this idea of zero-based seo which means okay anything is on the line we need to test pretty much anything at small scale see what the impact is and then roll it out right um and that has that has fared pretty well um i think we started to, to dive into that at atlassian at g2 we're definitely in, in full rollout and and anybody can check in the results uh it's also a philosophy that we're super bullish on at g2 uh, sorry at shopify um very lucky to be in the growth organization at Shopify, but within my SEO team, I have one team that is solely dedi uh, dedicated to experimentation and that team helps all the other teams, the tech teams, the content teams to run their own experiments. So experimentation is table stakes for us. And that's the way of how we make big decisions. We roll them out at small scale. We look at the impact and then we, we, we fire from all cannons. That's the basic concept of zero-based SEO. It's great. So how do you... So testing in SEO can be tricky, right? Like using your standard, like Optimizely or, or um, Google Optimize or whatever the testing tools out there. Um, most of them aren't SEO friendly. So how are you getting testing done on, you know, on a site? Is it, are you hard coding on X amount of pages or is it a tool that you're using that will like run the test for you and track it? I think there's Rank Science was another one that kind of does something like that too. Yeah, they're starting to pop up left and right, which is great. Yeah. We need we need yep. more of that. Um, and so there are different types of SEO tests. Generally, SEO experiments are all quasi-tests because for an actual quote-unquote, and I have to be careful with how I phrase this here so people don't get the wrong impression, 
for the quote-unquote actual experiment or scientific experiment, you need to have a randomized sample, right? You cannot say, okay, we, we just we pick exactly these things and and uh, and uh, as, as our as our test candidates. In SEO, we have to because you only have one. Um, um, uh, you can only test with Google, right? You don't have a, a group of um, of different uh, of an audience or uh, test candidates to pick from. However, you can still run quasi experiments and learn a lot from them. And so, the first thing to look at is what type of site are we, are we dealing with? Um, is it a an aggregator site, as I now call them, or is it an integrator site? Aggregator sites are all the marketplaces. You know, uh, imagine like uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon. So social networks, e-commerce sites, um, and generally marketplaces of different kinds. Any site that has scalable page templates, G2 is one of them. That's where you can, can run um, a B test at large scale. And then integrator sites, there's all the SaaS companies, uh, publishers, even though publishers are kind of a gray zone, they, they have dynamics of both. Jeff, you're the, you're the expert here. Um, those integrator sites, that's where you have to run um different types of tests like snippet testing um that's a big one um and then you can run you can cluster some types of content into groups but it becomes it's, it's much less straightforward as for marketplaces for example right so at g2 we're able to say hey we have these five ta- uh, page templates um we have they scale across hundred thousands of pages so let's put them into groups or put the put um the the same page templates um take it and split it into groups and then make a change to one of the groups and see what the difference is in outcome. So very simple, straightforward A-B test. There are different solutions out there, right? From Search Pilot, which is one of the biggest advocates, uh, to a couple of smaller ones. You can do that. You can create your own in-house even, um, but make sure you have a data scientist because that stuff gets tricky real quick. Yes. <laughs> and then um, you can, there are other solutions out there. I don't want to call out too many, like SEO testing. I know was one click flow. There's like um, MetaClick Pro that's now coming out. So there are a couple of different ones that allow you to um, basically say, okay, uh, I don't have a hundred thousand pages, but I can still um, group pages around the same topic or with the same uh, template into one group and then find a control group, make sure like monitor for a while to make sure they have the same kind of um, click patterns and then make a change to one of them, revert the change, which is super important and is often forgotten. And then you can gain an incremental understanding. It's also called a diff on diff test or difference to difference test. Yeah, that's great. We, at the New York Times, we have our own A-B testing tool, which wasn't um, search friendly when I started there, but uh, we're, we're really working on performance um, just because in, in publications, uh, you know, our not our goal in general, but I think anyone whose goal is probably to get off of AMP and actually have one code base that, that'll work between them all. Um, Google always preached like, get away from, you know, M dot sites. And then they make you have AMP pages, which totally yeah, contradicting that, that statement. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, like totally makes sense. They're fast. So now that we have Core Web Vitals, um, we're, we're trying to implement some things, but it's, we didn't just want to blanket implement like changes because we didn't know if they would work or not. And now if they didn't work, I'm wasting developers time. So um, they, they took their in-house testing tool and made it where it'll run out on the edge. So we use Fastly as our, our CDN. So it'll write its code and push it out the Fastly. And now we can test like performance, you know, anything we want to do in performance on a flat, flat version. That's not using like, you know, JavaScript to do AB testing. Um, and, and it's really been great. And like, 
really it's only been focused on performance now, but I'm just like, you know, this is going to be my tool when I'm done with doing performance of just testing SEO changes because there's so many times we want to change something and like the engineering time, like, again, I, I don't want to prioritize this over something that needs to be done. So at least this way I can play in my own little world, push it out, see that change, run it on another great thing about being on a site that has millions of visitors. You can like run it out on like 1% and get like a statistical significance. Um, you know, you don't have to run it on hundred percent of your traffic. So, so that's, so we're, we're, we're going to be trying a lot of that stuff. So like, that's when we brought up this topic. I'm like, Ooh, this is kind of where I want to get into a little bit more. And um, I used to work for a CRO company. And, and so we did a lot of stuff there, just maybe changing button colors. And, and we weren't super advanced at that time, but um, it's great now that we're, we're able to do this. So um, I, I've got uh, a point to interject. So, uh, you know, as I've been uh, dabbling into into testing, which I, I honestly believe that this approach, uh, at least for the near future, is the way of the future. Um, but I do think the if you can't figure out a way to do it in-house using some of these third-party companies uh, that you all just mentioned, is a viable is a it's a really viable option but the problem that i've run into and the barrier to entry for me is really three things right uh it is cost a lot of them run on the basis of page views a lot of them sit out on the edge uh, which means that they're having to handle the load that's coming to your server so if you get a million page views per per month and they a lot of times they don't just focus on organic they it, they run on all page views, the tests affect organic, but the page views that are coming come from all channels, right? So that's something that gets figured into the cost, which literally, uh, quite honestly, I was talking uh, about trying to convince a client to do uh, work with one of one of these uh, third-party testing companies, I won't say which one, but uh, we have a contract with the client and we asked the third party company, hey, we wanna do some testing on their site on their behalf. What would it cost to do that? And they said, okay, how many page views do they get? What's the site? So on and so forth. And they came back with a, a figure that was nearly as expensive as our contract. And that made it kind of a, like, I can't work with that. Um, I can't go to the client with this budget and say, by the way, just so that we can do testing, you need to double your budget, right? That's just that that was a non-starter. So I think that there's that there's the the cost, there's the implementation angle uh, to do. And don't get me wrong, I'm a huge proponent of this, but developers who aren't as familiar with this, like I've run up against some skepticism or not wanting to bolt on uh, or build their own technology with their existing stack for one reason or another. And then on the other side of all of this is you've got the old school SEOs or the frame, like you said, Kevin, the framework based SEOs that just aren't caught up to the idea of testing. And there's either um, resistance to the idea of testing and becoming more data centric or just ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, and all of those three things combined has led, at least for me, to a really difficult time pushing this mindset uh, and this kind of shift in terms of how we handle SEO. Uh, and I wonder if other agencies, uh, you know, being on the outside looking in are kind of going through through similar similar things. 
Yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's that for certain sites, there's a very high bar to entry when it comes to a third-party solution. So I think some third-party solutions are for a very select group of sites. Generally, some larger companies, I think, can build a lot of that themselves. Um, and I think if you have a good engineer with a paired with a great data scientist, you can cover a lot of the functionality. And then I think for everybody else, there are a couple of workarounds, right? You either do experiments on a much smaller scale or you do simple before and after tests. I mean, ought to be to be straightforward, like it's it's better to do before and after tests than no testing at all, right? Um, and then there are a couple of smaller solutions that, that help you measure the changes when you um, when you change something like the title or some smaller things. And it's it's still valuable, right? I, I think we should not try to, uh, to to have an all or nothing approach to that. But I think it's a mindset shift, and that mindset shift came in part because I saw that the the old checklist that I had wasn't working to the same degree anymore. The other challenge that I faced was that I couldn't. Like you mentioned in the beginning, which I which I love, that implementation is one of the biggest hurdles, and I totally agree with you. SEO is more about what you can get done, not what you know. Right? You can know the best trick in the world for SEO. It won't help you if you can't ship it. And shipping is a fundamental problem because SEO is, you know, not as predictable as say like paid. Um, And so we know the whole kind of uh, hassle and the struggle, but if you can ship something at small scale, improve the impact, shipping at larger scale is a no brainer. And so it's not just a question of finding things that work. It's also about finding ways to get things done. That's always a pain. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense right like yeah i mean the one benefit i have like that i when i moved internal is that like i get more up up to bats with the dev teams i have a chance to like i'm in meetings with them we, i build those relationships so now it's easier for me to prioritize things but it, when you're external to that company and you're you know an after not an afterthought but you're not even a thought in a developer's mind when you're a consultant working with a marketing team um you're like hoping that marketing team takes your recommendations and brings it to the devs to to get things implemented and and a lot of times they lose that battle internally um you know i, I was a dev that would be like oh what are seo people like <laughs> until i got into seo and i'm like oh now like i, I try to play that card like i used to be you <laughs> but now like i'm way better no okay <laughs> No, but it's true. Uh, you know, it's it's a question of math. Yep. Developers very sought after. It's very rare to have SEO exclusive developers or engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're blessed with that at Shopify. So you know, I'm calling. Yeah, seriously, Work, but, working on that here. So. Yeah, I'm crossing my my fingers for you. Um, but it's not the standard, and that yeah. means you compete with other requests that have a clear dollar amount attached to them. Exactly. And if we cannot at least do that in SEO. Stuff will not get done, right? And so testing at small scale is one way to say, hey, we saw this impact. If we do the math and roll this out across the board, this is what we expect in terms of not just traffic, but also dollars. And then all of a sudden, ears start to to turn open. What kind of things can you test? Uh, Because we're talking about testing as a concept. uh, And we know in SEO, it is heavily template-based. And I've always... um, thought that at some point there would be a point of diminishing return with things that you could test because there are only so many templates and so many elements of the page. So what, what, um, you know, where, where does it end? I love that question. Um, generally you want to, you want to 
test the things first that you think have the biggest impact. So anybody who's new to testing, I would recommend starting with things like title uh, and snippet testing in general. There's, it's one of the most underrated things in SEO in my mind, and it's not new, right? We all know description, title, and all that kind of stuff have an impact on attention or sometimes even rank. Um, but that's where I would start. Title, description, rich snippets, anything you can do in that sense. Uh, and you don't need a templated or, or, or aggregator site to do that, by the way. Um, from there, I would go more on uh, into the on-page elements. And you can you can test things like timestamps, uh, last mod uh, or, or uh, recent modifications, um, subheadings, uh, content length, authorship, author bio, all this kind of stuff. Um, so from there, I think there are no limits. Um, of course, the more like there's, there are certain principles and dynamics that set constraints. Like the, the amount of traffic you get will decide to what level of of granularity you can test. So not everybody can test a byline, right? Like that's New York Times maybe can, um, but uh, there's there's a certain limit for sure. But you can test other things that are outside of on-page. You can test internal linking, right? Uh, you can test around with that. So um, I would encourage to, to explore that. Um, you can even in some cases test uh, redesigns, right? Like roll it out in a certain section of your site, can test things like URL structure, depending on your uh, constraints uh, uh, in terms of the CMS uh, and so on. But uh, I think I think we can be and have to be much more creative uh, than just the basics. But if somebody starts out, I would recommend uh, starting with the snippets. Yeah, we're we're working on testing as the same page speed performance stuff. You know, Core Web Vitals, just being able to change some things on like to improve our LCP scores or, or something like that. So um, we're able to, to run that now and we're, we're seeing some cool results from it. Uh, the, mostly the core at New York Times is, is doing that right now, but um, over in Wirecutter, we're, we're gearing up to take their experience and their knowledge and be able to run the same tests on our end. Love that. Love that. Yeah, there's, so, there's a ton. So Kev, Kevin, did you... Uh, did you coin the term zero-based SEO or did that come from somewhere? I mean, obviously it came from banking, but did you, are you the first person to put that phrase together? I guess so. Yeah. But you know, I'm sure there, there's a better name to call it. Have you copyrighted it? Cause if not, I'm stealing it. Like, if- uh, let me give you the answer <laughs> after the show. Right, right, right. <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, it's open for anybody to grab. So there's no, Oh, that's funny. All right. So uh, any parting thoughts on zero-based SEO and SEO testing before we move on to Twitter questions of the week? One quick one. Um, I'm trying to keep it to 30 seconds, but that it's, it's, I think it's important that we as SEOs make that shift mentally, right? And I think it's because we're at a, to- at a, at a point where um, we have to think about SEO more like investing or or medicine even, right? Uh, not that we save lives by no means, but um, that it's the same approach, right? Where first of all, we need to have robust studies to make bold public claims, right? So nowadays when everybody says, oh yeah, we like, I know that 100% that, you know, if you write long form content, that's always going to work perfectly. Eh, that's a red flag for me. Uh, that doesn't pass the sniff test because I know, you know, like if there's no robust, first of all, you need one robust study. You need several robust studies, right? It has to be robust is what, I'm, what I mean. And on the other hand, just a single study doesn't prove anything, right? It's the same in medicine. Like you probably yeah. five studies don't prove anything either, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this whole kind of, it's this Bayesian idea, this like iterating toward the truth 
with acknowledging that you'll probably never fully get there because the system is so complex. So that's what that's something I'm really looking that I'm really looking forward to see from the SEOC over the next years. This is a more robust public corpus of studies that help us understand what really has impact these days and whatnot. Just in time for Google to change their algorithm and all their <laughs> <Yeah>. studies go. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think they, I mean, some of that might be true, but for the most part, I don't think, uh, I think those studies would be amazing. Cool. So we're gonna get into Twitter questions from the week. Um, so this is where we, we beg Twitter followers to leave us some questions <laughs> and um, we get we to beg answer, and plead. I guess we, direct to. <laughs> we beg and plead. Some of them are great. And uh, Morty is not that great, but we're going to say it anyway. <laughs> He's a Steelers fan. <laughs> he Wait. is a Steelers fan. Yeah. They do stuff like that. <laughs> right. Cool. So the first one is from Mike Ginley, um, Twitter handle of Mike Ginley SEO. Any tips on dealing with burnout, time management, managing so much in your day job, um, but also creating and sharing so much of your site um, and social channels? I mean, it seems like you're you're everywhere and doing everything. It's like, how do you manage that? Like, and how do you manage, you know, any burnout effects? Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same about it, but Shopify is not just a nine to five job for me. Like yeah. I do this all the time, all the time. Um, and so what helps me, if, the thing is, there's this Marissa Meyer um, quote where she talks about burnout and her thesis is that burnout is more about resentment. And the point is that everybody has something in their life that they don't want to compromise on, that they don't want to negotiate. And if that's being taken from them, that's when people burn out and become resentful. For some, that's dinner with their kids. For others, it's Friday taco night. I don't know, or taco Tuesday and Friday, whatever night. You know, people have their rituals. And to me, that is uh, working out. Uh, uh, I'm very much into powerlifting and I work out quite a lot. Um, And so I have like a relative not super fixed time but every day at 4 to 5 p.m uh i make sure to, to get up in the gym uh for a good one to two hours um and really do something else and that clears my mind uh that leads that's out any frustrations um and at the same time is a good counterbalance to sitting at the desk um all day so that that's it for me and i, I urge everybody to find what it is for them um and then then fight for it you know like there's yeah like for something for me to not go to the gym that day like something really bad has to happen that's a great answer um so jonathan wilson um at jonathan b wilson um in a larger org like shopify what challenges do you run into regarding influencing beyond your vertical how do you overcome them you know, there's a lot. Uh, another, I, I honestly love all the Twitter questions, uh, especially Maurice, but we'll get to that later. Um, but no, this is another fantastic question because it's a real problem. When I worked at Atlassian, that was that was kind of my, um, one, of, one of the biggest drivers of success, I would say, is that I realized even with a large team, I'll never be able to do everything that I want to. So by educating everybody in SEO, I kind of, uh, multiply my leverage and that worked to a great degree. We um, educated designers, writers, engineers, and their respective impact on SEO. We brought results back to them. Um, that was huge. You would not believe how many people get hooked once they see what 
what impact their um, uh, their, their deploy or their their shipping shipment has. Um, and then we just generally advocated uh, and beat the drum for SEO. So we made sure that we were presented in the all hands. We made sure that we share what's happening in SEO, what we found, the wins, even the failures, you know, like what doesn't work. So we held ourselves very accountable to being transparent. Um, and that that is that wonders. And so it's it's very similar at every company and Shopify is no exception. You know, like you have to help people learn about SEO. You have to share the wins, advocate for what you're doing. Um, and if you if you create that type of culture, that like humble testing, high output performance culture, that is infectious to other people. That is that carries over and they want to be part of that. So that's that's, that's some of the tactics we play. That's awesome. Cool. The third question is by Nikki Moser. Um, at Nickers 85. Former guest. Um, yeah, former guest on the show. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice you would give to people creating SEO content teams? That's a really good question. You know, I, uh, it's, I now had a, a couple of, of reps where I had to redesign my organization completely. Um, and so I have asked myself that question a couple of times. It is always a little dependent on the company you work for. Some companies have a high writing, have a strong writing culture. Um, and uh, other companies, for, to them, the, the concept is very foreign. So if you have a high, if you have a culture where people just generally create a lot of content and are very vocal, um, then it's much easier. Then you would want to put more resources into editing, making sure that, you know, uh, you, you get tone right, tone of voice, design, look and feel, um, style guides, and that you repurpose a lot of the content. When it comes to an organization that has that don't have that doesn't have that culture, um, that's where I would I would start with bringing some good writers on board and start creating a pipeline of content and a regular content cadence, and then iterate along the way. I learned that it's more important to get the machine going than having it perfect from scratch because you'll learn a lot along the way anyway, yeah. and you'll refine your style and tone of voice over time. I mean, Jeff, honestly, like you, I feel like you really have to chime in on that question because you're so much <laughs> like you are, how much closer can you be to a writer culture than the New York Times? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm on the tech side, but I work, you know, I look at my jobs to make sure that all our content gets seen because we have, I mean, at Wirecutter itself, we're like 80 writers and editors. Um, New York Times itself, it's, it's, I think it's a billion. Uh, there's so many. I mean, across the world, they have so many at that that area. So, um, yeah, like I, it's funny. I, I always joke because I am the technical side of things, but I took over a company at one time that was 100% link building. And my job was like the the, the owner at the time was like, we don't, we need to get out of link building. So I'm hiring you to become a full service SEO agency. So I, I set a date where we're going to stop link building and any of our link building clients, we were going to say like, we're writing content for you instead. So the company before would say, Hey, you were worth, like, we're going to give you 10 new links a month. Like I was like, we're going to give you, you know, not even saying that we're going to give you three pieces of content because we didn't just want to force content down there. Um, but 
growing a team from there. Like I, I gave everyone who was there at first, their first shots, like, Hey, the, uh, you're a link builder, you know, you're writing out outreach. Like we're just going to write about, we had like, I remember one client was all about like horse supply and tech. And I was like, we're just going to become experts in horses and, and, and kill it there. We also had a wedding dress company and we became like experts in wedding dresses to the point where when we lost that client, we went to another wedding dress company and we're like look this is all the content we wrote this is all the stuff we've done and, and they hired us actually from from basing that off so um it was hard it is really hard especially i'm um, not being a content focused person i relied a lot on on, on my leads and managers uh, but it was uh, i remember we just we, there was one day we just had we had issues with like spell checking <laughs> It was just like we would send out content that wasn't spell checked. So, like, I don't know, I did like the immature dad thing. I was just put like signs up, like, did you spell check your work today? And like, that was like, it was like a weird like badge, like, hey, great job. <laughs> There's no errors. Um, but that was also because we had like limited budgets of work kid pay people so um growing the team is is, is tough and, and actually like getting the right mix there but um i've worked for some agencies where like the content team was like amazing um and again new york times and Wirecutter, like we that is what we do we we are content um so i just watching how they work and those structures they have um they are very passionate and it's finding the passionate people in any industry you're in is the tough part because there's some people so who just the- go through the motions and just there's passionate people <laughs> So the interesting thing, you know, over the course of time, and I feel like we should make an infographic about this with different careers that people come from before they were SEOs, is that it, at least uh, without putting like actual stats to it, one of the things I've noticed over time is that a lot of people that come from a content background before they did that, before they did SEO, they were journalism uh, and came from a journalistic background, which is yeah. it's interesting that you're the you're the fulcrum, Jeff, uh, with the journalism in the New York Times and the in the content. But uh, a lot of it was predicated on the uh, 2007 2008 kind of financial crisis. Uh, here in the U.S., I don't know if the the financial crisis extended to the rest of the world, but uh, a lot of journalists at that time found themselves out of work. the The industry at that point in time was becoming, uh, yeah. which was predicated on paper journalism, not uh, digital journalism, was making that yes. transition, and a lot of journalists became SEOs and, and content marketers. So I don't know if like. There's something there with journalism and, and SEO and content, but it's definitely an observation that that we've seen here. I think yeah. people like to read or write and and research, and that's kind of like a lot of SEO, right? It's like we dig into things, trying to figure things out, and you know, and we have to write about them. So yeah, and the content bar increases more and more, so you need better content creators, and that's often yes. journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I wanted to quickly um, uh, address uh, Nikki's question again because I think I, I left a piece out there. And so, some of the things that I learned are really important when it comes to putting teams together or designing organizations is you first you want to design for your goals. That's that's a hard lesson that I learned. But you instead of designing for the people you have, as crude as it sounds, you want to design for the goals you have. Um, and then number two is you want to hire really strong from scratch. I think a mistake that a lot of companies and people make is that they hire, they think, okay, we're just starting. So we're just going to hire, uh, people who are fresh out of college or had a, have a year of experience or some like, um, people who, uh, switch jobs and no, you should hire, you should start with a really strong hire who sets the bar 
and then uh, from there you want to you want to keep that bar. And then the third one is that um, whoever you hire, right? I think in a lot of cases, especially when you start a team from scratch, you, you, that will change a year in any way, right? So uh, most of the time you won't get it right from scratch. No org chart or org design is perfect. So acknowledge that, start in a good place, and then iterate from there. Sounds great. All right. So now Morty's question. So from Morty Oberstein, at Morty Oberstein, um, how do I get to the point where I can jiggle my pecs? And I think you had a picture of uh, Terry Crews, the infamous peck jiggler. I think Terry was flexing his pecs. Uh, yeah, he's flexing, but they make him like bounce. Like it's, you That's know, right. yeah. it's one of those fancy Terry's things people with muscles can do. He's a, yeah, he's crazy. And Terry Crews is legit, right? Like he's, yeah. he's absolutely crazy. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, what, what can I tell you, Morty? I uh, gave you an answer on Twitter. Um, it's not, it's not just pecs you can jiggle, right? You can, can go the other route as well. Uh, just drink a lot of beer, donuts help, pizza, sushi, steak, like all the good stuff. Just eat a lot and things That's will my start weekend. jiggling. Jump, jump, just jump up and down. If you've got the right body type, just jump up and down and there will be yeah. some jiggling going on somewhere. <laughs> all right. That's so great. let's pick a, let's pick a winner. Uh, so we've got uh, Mike with the burnout and time management. We've got uh, Jonathan with the challenges of uh, influencing uh, a company kind of uh, up uh, when you've got different verticals. We've got Nikki with the uh, con- building content teams question. And we've got Morty with the jiggle. Who's who's gonna win? This is where you get to pick. This is where you get to pick. Yes. Uh, It's tough. It's tough. Um, I would say I love Morty's question, but there's a but. Uh, In in terms, you know, uh, in 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 the sake of seriousness, um, I think I'm gonna give it to. We have the hardest question. I would say Jonathan. I'll pick Jonathan. Jonathan. All right, Jonathan, you are the winner. Uh, We are going to be reaching out to you to see what kind of page two podcast swag you would like us to send you. So be on the lookout. Uh, And honestly, all of those questions, even even Morty's, which was funny, brought some comic relief. Uh, Our (laughs) listeners were bringing it strong today with some really good uh, good questions, really, really like insightful stuff. So, you know, this Definitely. has been a good segment for us. Uh, sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes like it does get down to the wire with questions getting submitted. Um, but our listeners do a pretty good and pretty consistent job of submitting, uh, submitting questions. And when they do submit them, they bring it strong. Uh, and the yep. questions are really, uh, really awesome, introspective, uh, serious, uh, serious, sometimes <laughs> serious, uh, and good. So keep it coming. Keep it coming, everybody. Uh, Jeff, why don't you take us home? Sure. So we'd like to ask our guests one final question, and that is what words of advice would you give to a person just getting into SEO? It's all about practical experience. Um, there's a lot of theory out there and that's awesome. Spend some time looking at that, but nothing counts as much as practical experience. You know, when I hire, um, I look for, have people done that before? Do they know what it takes? And you can sniff that out relatively okay. quickly. So gain is like start your personal project, whether it's a blog, a mini shop or something, start a project that you can learn from, play around with, experiment and gain practical experience. Sweet. Yeah. And this is this is one from like I'm gonna go Shopify 
versus Wix. Which one should I pick? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> just that's just for Morty. <laughs> no, we're just gonna have we're just gonna have Morty and Kevin come on, and it's just gonna be an arm wrestling episode. It'll be, oh, yeah, like be a awesome. thirty second or one minute episode. Or a donut eating contest. Yes. Well, maybe we'll do we'll do both arm wrestling and then donut eating. It's yeah, not like the Olympics. And see who throws up first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm game. Oh my right. god. Uh, and it, uh, Kevin, you brought up a, a really interesting point with the practical experience, right? Because I we talk about this a lot. There are a lot of SEOs. Um, that over time lose touch with the practical realm of experience and spend too much time. Not saying the conference circuit is not, doesn't have its place. It's a great place to meet people, share ideas, so on and so forth. But there are SEOs that get too far away from the reality of what it's like to be a day-to-day SEO. And I think we've brought some SEOs on that are like more in the day-to-day grind. Not to say that we haven't brought people in that are on the conference circuit and so on and so forth. But there is something to be said for the day-to-day SEO that's in the grind that nobody knows their name. Some of the best SEOs in the world, nobody knows who they are and they're in the grind every single day getting the job done, right? So there is, if you're one of those people, um, don't feel bad that nobody knows your name uh, as long as you're ranking things and uh, and pulling pulling results. Uh, yep. Sometimes it doesn't matter if people don't uh, necessarily know your name or if you don't speak. So that is one one thing that we talk about a lot because everybody, I uh, a lot of people, I think think that in order to do well in your career, you have to be well known in the space, and that's not true. You can progress and have a great career without doing a single speaking engagement or anybody knowing knowing who you are as long as you can get results that's the freaking bottom line man that's our yep. job so so true so psa true. all right uh well kevin uh we're uh to use a baseball reference we are rounding third and we're on our way home from the the end of the double header we appreciate you coming on this was uh an excellent episode i would say uh from a podcasting standpoint you've got a great radio voice uh we've had a few yes. good radio voices i would not say that our voices are great radio voices but you should keep i'm sure people would want to hear uh more podcasting from you if for nothing else because of the radio voice you've got a great uh great radio voice you don't say a, uh in my opinion a lot of like ums uh or like the, the right. words i'm sure we do that a lot i think i stumble gotten, over my words all day right we've gotten <laughs> much better uh but your voice is a voice for uh voice for radio but that's just my opinion uh thank you so much for coming on we really appreciated uh having you on as a guest and man it was it's a pretty awesome and insightful episode so uh for those of uh you listeners Uh, We will be back with three more episodes this season. That's it. We've only got three more all season. And then Jeff and I are going to ride off on horses together out into the sunset uh, until next season. So three more episodes uh, and then we're off for the summer. It's summer vacation uh, before we launch season four. So everybody uh, have a good week. Uh, Not sure if we're going to post this episode as a a two in one week or one week in one week. We'll surprise everybody, but it's probably going to be two episodes in one week. So I'm kind of interested uh, to go with the theme of the, the episode in testing what happens. Maybe we'll do two episodes in one week more next season. I don't know. We'll see. We're going to test it. (laughs) You just do all 25 in one week. See what What we're going to do. We're going to test it. And then we're going to, roll back to just one and we're going to look at the difference. That's what we're going to <laughs> do. Bam. 
Exactly. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Page Two Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, PocketCast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time... Happy optimizing.